Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Talk is Cheap, and that's why we have a podcast. I am your host, Will. Today, I want to talk about a few things, not necessarily a few things, but one major thing that's very important to me. Um, over the years, a lot has changed in my life. That's kind of the, the motif I have is things have changed. Um, but one of the constants I've had while being um, in the relationship that I'm currently in with my loving wife, who is so amazing, I can't believe you know she puts up with me. But one of the things she introduced me to is parenthood. Um, she had two kids of her own prior to getting together with me. And well, I have a little segment I want to do about parenthood. So without further ado, this topic means a lot to me. I've been a father for 15 plus years, and the journey has been full of its own highs and lows. I've had successes. I've had failures. Since the birth of my youngest daughter, I've taken the time to think back about what being a dad means to me. If you were to ask me when I was 20 if I wanted to be a father, I probably would have laughed in your face and made some sort of wisecrack insult. Little did I know, less than a year later, I would have two young kids in my life that needed a dad. I will openly admit to anyone that I wasn't ready to be a dad. Um, I didn't really understand what it meant or how to do it. Much like all young fathers, I kind of jumped into it head first, and I know that I've made my share of mistakes along the way. While my son was in Alabama for military training, I had a chance to talk to him about some of my regrets. I wasn't the best role model to him in my younger years, but the few things I've hoped to have instilled in him, some at some point I've seen, um, but there's, there's a lot more that I hope he's taken from me and not just how to try to be a dad, because it, that's all that is. It's, we're just trying. There's no book. There's no manual. But after the birth of my youngest, I've had a chance to experience fatherhood from the beginning as when I met my two other children. They were five and three, respectively. While I know things now that I need to improve upon, I haven't dealt with a baby and everything is new. Everything is scary. And the greatest joy even though it's scary, that I've ever had. I didn't know that I was meant to be a father at the time I had children, but I feel like I've answered the call. For fathers, the bond that grows with them and their child is unlike anything the mother may feel. A mother has the joy of feeling their child grow within them, while the father gets to watch the process from the outside. While the child will recognize the father's voice, that maternal bond doesn't exist with them. I remember my daughter being born. I remember the fear, the uncertainty that I felt the entire day after they told us that she was coming a week early. We were down at a hospital seeing a specialist because my wife's risk factor, and they told us that the baby had to come that day. I think the color went out of my face, and I stayed pastier than I am now throughout that entire day. I couldn't process what I felt. I didn't really know what I felt. There were so many emotions all at once. Fear, apprehension, dread, um, many emotions. Too many really to count. I didn't know what was going on and part of me felt that it was all a dream. It, it couldn't be real. I have been with my wife for the entirety of the pregnancy. I went to every ultrasound that I could. I felt every kick. I've spoken to the belly often. All oh, praise the belly. For all its intents and purposes, I should have been prepared. But I wasn't. 
no one, no one prepares you for the day your baby comes. No one does. There's, there's no way you can. I remember sitting in the hall by the delivery rooms and trying to keep my shit together. I was worried about my wife being high risk. Um, I was worried about my child because one, the high risk and two, is it early because of a condition? Is she going to be okay? I was worried that I couldn't keep it together, that I couldn't be strong enough to get through the birth. I was scared that something would go wrong and I'd either lose my child or I'd be raising her alone. And I wasn't prepared to do either. The doctor delivered the doctor who delivered my daughter had made jokes to my wife while they were in the room together that I was more freaked out than my wife was. For clarification, okay, my wife was also on a lot of drugs. She couldn't feel anything from the chest down. So well, yeah, she was probably scared. I didn't have the the boost of modern medicine to keep me calm. So I wasn't. I wasn't calm. I remember holding my wife's hand, trying to be strong for her because she was just as scared as I was. I remember looking around the curtain and seeing the doctor's work. I had glanced down at my wife's face to immortalize the moment when I heard that first cry. It was more of a scream than a cry. Say what you want about the size of that little girl and when she was born, but the pipes on her shook me to my very core. I'm not someone who gets emotional easy, but that first cry got to me. I saw her for the first time being lifted up and passed to one of the nurses, and my world just fell apart. It wasn't a dream anymore. It wasn't some impossibly distant point in the future that I would meet my daughter. It was now. I still don't know how I took clear pictures of her. I don't know how I cut the umbilical without losing my shit. I don't know how I was able to make it back from that table to my wife with her in my arms. She's so small, so scared, and yet so precious. Eight months have gone by. And while she's certainly less scared and less small, she is still all the more precious. For a father to bond with his daughter, he has to be the rock in her life. I see her big, bright smile when I come home from work or when she wakes up from a nap. I hold her when she's crying or hungry or tired. She clings to my legs so that she can stand, and I do what I can to be strong for her. She wants to explore and see all there is to this world, and I want nothing but the best for her. But I'm still afraid. I'm afraid for her. I do what I can to protect her from this world, and I wish I had a better world to offer her when I'm gone. A father fears for his daughters. There's much out there that they don't understand. People can be cruel. They say that every girl judges the men in her life against her father. Her father is her first love, and how he treats her and her mother will be the basis for the rest of her life. That worries me. Not that I don't treat my girls well. I do the best I can, and I can always do better. As a father, I don't want my girls comparing other boys to me. I'm selfish that way. I want my girls to see their father as the best a man can be, and that no one will come close. I want my girls to know that no matter what, dad will always be there. I want them to know that when it's time, and I walk them down that aisle, that I'm not giving them away to someone else. No matter how old they are, there will always be daddy's little girls. From the first meeting, when I read a book to a blue, to a 
blonde-haired three-year-old to the first time I held my daughter, they are mine. I watch my daughters grow with a proud sadness. My oldest daughter is a bright and beautiful young woman ready to go out into the world and make her own way. My youngest is a whirling dervish of wonder and cuteness, doing everything she can to master the world around her and learn its secrets. The time will come when they don't need me as much, and there will be a time where I have to let them go. But for now, there is time enough left to enjoy the best of them both. I often wonder with my oldest two children if I've done enough. Did I give them a good life? There will always be more that I could have done, but were they happy to have me in their lives? I want to believe so. I don't have much evidence to the contrary, but it gets me to thinking that every child needs a father. Same-sex parents aside, and that's a topic for later, but every parent needs a father, not necessarily a man, but a strong figure, a rock in the otherwise chaotic ocean of life, who will never break never leave, and never flinch. I see those drawings of fatherhood. A man hovering over his child as they play while the arrows or knives of reality stab him in the back. Bills, work, depression, anxiety, fear, pain. I feel that. I feel that in my soul. I want to protect my children from the ravages of the real world, even as two of them are adults and are seeing what adulthood is like. Children grow up so fast. They see things that they really shouldn't see. Parents fighting, parents splitting up, possibly remarrying, having new brothers and new sisters. It's hard for a child as it is hard to be an adult. The trauma never really ends. But as I hold my little girl and I look into her bright blue eyes, I know that no matter what, I don't regret it. A smile, a touch, a laugh. That little life that sees me as one of the greatest things in the world. I could never regret my choice. I do it again and again and again. I was meant to be a father as I was meant to be the father of my other two. Though I wasn't there when they were born, I will be there for the rest of their lives. So what is the measure of a man? Is it his accomplishments, his character, or his legacy? His impact on the world could be as small as a child that grows up loving him and passes that love one day on to their children. We don't all need to change the world to make a difference. We just need to be there for those that need us. I'd like to do an update or two or five um, about this channel and where it's going. Um, what you heard, just heard, was the first scripted segment that I've done. The first two, I just sat down, pressed record, and like now, just started talking. Um, I've been looking into scripting and keeping things concise as to not have a whole lot of dead noise or rambling. But in that, I've come up with a list of things I want to talk about or things that I find might be interesting. Um, and with the help of my co-host, we've come up with this list. So one of the things I want to do, and I will be working on that shortly, is 
original movies versus remakes. I'm kind of a cinephile. I love watching movies. I love being entertained by movies. But more and more we see from Hollywood, they don't know how to create anything new. All they know how to do is rehash, put a tweak or a spin, or in some cases, change the core of a movie and slap the same name on it and push it out the door. One of the the biggest offenders right now that my wife and I've been talking about is Candyman. The original Candyman was an awesome film. It wasn't great by any standard. It's not going to win an Academy Award, but for a tense horror thriller, it was a good film. I watched Jordan Peele's remake of it um, not that long ago, and it didn't even feel like the same movie. It felt... And these are one of the things I'm going to talk about. It felt like a horrible twisting of a simple story to feed a narrative. And narrative is something that I'm going to go over in great lengths when I do these comparisons is should the remake go off in a different direction? Should it diverge? Um, to, for some films, yes because you could tell the same story from a slightly different angle or update things to make the movie in itself better. One example I want to use is the original Friday the 13th and the remake of Friday the 13th. Now, anyone who knows horror movies knows that the original was not about Jason. It was about his mother killing all these camp counselors because his her child died where the remake is the mother's already out of the way and it's just him killing counselors because they're invading his space because he originally drowned and they killed his mother so the remake is kind of a sequel slash continuation of the first movie where it's also an amalgamation of the first two films where Jason is an adult. He's going around doing his thing and he's doing it because of the events of the first film. It did it well. It handled the license and the essence of the film properly. Candyman did not do that. Candyman said instead of telling the story, and just updating it for modern audience audiences. They twisted it to, they added a bunch of allure and backstory, which may have been in the later films. I'm not sure. I'm not comparing the sequels of any film to the remakes because that doesn't work. But going out and taking that narrative of the origin of that killer and twisting it to fit a modern view what I mean by that is the entire premise of the movie is them essentially blaming white people for creating ghettos, um, the super rich for working people out of the ghettos, namely African-Americans, so that they could build something new on top of the ghettos and police brutality. That's it. That's the whole point of the movie. White people bad, rich people bad, cops bad. Now, you can tell those stories. You can tell and deal with those situations in a respectful way. This film does not do that. It doesn't respect the people that it's trying to critique. It just wants to critique them to get 
brownie points. And while people have lauded it as a, a great reimagining, in all, when you look at it as a narrative, it's a terrible film. It does a terrible job of explaining the killer, his real motivations, which it turns out to just be revenge because of the lore they created, and police brutality. You're, you're grasping. You're grasping. You're trying to appeal to an audience that, one, doesn't support you, and two, doesn't care, is tired of seeing crap like this. So one of the things I'm going to be talking about is original movies versus their remakes and why I feel either the original or the remake was better. To contrast, like the Friday the 13th versus Candyman, narrative choices bring a film down. People want to watch movies to be entertained. Just entertainment. That's all it is, is entertainment. I don't want to hear your message. I don't want to see your message. You're trying to preach to me upon your ivory tower and tell me this is the way I should think, this is the way I should feel, this is what I should believe, because you say so doesn't work. Most Americans, most people in the world create their own opinions. They don't need to be told what to think or how to feel about something. We all looked at the riots. We looked at the police brutality. We looked at the systemic racism and we said, okay, we have these feelings about it. Whether good or bad, we had these feelings about it. Let's fix it. This film, like Candyman, doesn't attempt to fix it. Just, it's still there. White people are bad. Now, as a white guy, yeah, I'm going to kind of take offense to that. Not much because my feelings are strong enough to not get hurt by people going, you're a racist. No, I'm not a racist. I just hate everyone equally. It's a phrase I used to say. But it's not racism to say that systems and policies need to change. Because, yes, they are directed unevenly towards certain groups. But without the research to go into it, without the research, you can't say these things. You just want to spout your evil because you think you have the right to spout your evil. And we will talk a little bit about free speech in another video. That's something I'm going to go really in depth with. And I'm going to give you some instances of why we have free speech, but we don't need free speech. Just because you can say something doesn't mean you should. Anyway, I think that's going to wrap that up. Uh, it did get a little meandering, but movies, originals versus remakes. If you have any thoughts, any ideas on which films you would like me to cover, feel free to reach out to me. Those that know me, you can find me on Facebook. My name is Will Bocash, B-O-K-A-C-H. Um, I will be starting a Discord, I think, um, and a separate Facebook page simply for this podcast as it's growing at a rate that I like. Um, but if you have ideas, reach out to me, say, hey, can we talk about this? Or, hey, can we talk about that? And if you want to be a guest on this show, reach out to me. I could always use more voices. So it's not just me talking to the wall at the moment. I'm looking at the wall and the painting I did at, um, yeah, moving on, moving on. Anyway, thank you for listening, and I will talk to you guys next time. Bye. 
That's our show, ladies and gentlemen. On behalf of Elise, Jeff, and myself, we thank you for your love and continued support. If you want to support us further or chime in on the discussion, you can find us at Facebook at Talk is Cheap. That's why we have a podcast. Or on Instagram at Talking underscore Cheap. Be sure to tell your friends like our content and share it. The best way we know how to do our job is for you guys to tell us what works and what doesn't. Anyways, love you all. Appreciate all your support and we will talk to you again soon.